your mic is uh, click. Somebody's mic is clicking. All right, please have your mic muted, guys. Yeah, not mine. Just have it muted by default. Yeah, it was Rhett as Reed. Yeah, it's the Reed. He's here. Wow, oh, the big man himself. Shocking. Alrighty. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, I hope you're all well. I hope you're all staying safe. I hope you all watched the video and enjoyed. All right. That's right. That's right. Okay, cool. Um, so we'll get into everything um, just sort of as quick as possible. Apologies, the video went up a little bit later than expected um, today. Uh, just working through some some fun technical bu bugs because uh, you know, YouTube's uh, fantastic and it, and it makes it really easy for people to upload videos. Um, but all of that aside, we'll get into the sort of standard housekeeping uh, and then we'll hopefully get stuck into the questions. So a um, few things to go over um, for starters. Um, this will probably be the last Q&A session that happens directly after a video. Um, from now on, we're going to do them um, either 24 hours later or 48 hours later for the Thursday one, uh, just to make sure that people have enough time to watch the video, digest, and so they can kind of schedule for it as well. It doesn't just kind of go up, um, you know, uh, willy-nilly afterwards and people have got to desperately think of what it is that they're going to ask. Uh, so I think that's going to give everyone a bit of time there and, and also probably give me a bit of a break after I've, uh, you know, uploaded and done all of that sort of fun stuff to yeah. kind of collect my thoughts or, or go to bed at a reasonable hour. Um, so we will be doing that. Um, we're going to make an announcement on the Discord to sort of schedule everything there um, so that you can kind of see how that's all going to work. But I think it's going to be um, for the best and, um, you know, big thanks to uh, all the wonderful staff members that kind of make that possible and sort of hold my hand through sort of scheduling all of that. Um, because to be honest, really, they, they do all the work and I just got to go, yep, yep, that sounds good. Um, and that's kind of how everything kind of works out. And that's that's not a lie at all. Anyone that is a staff member will be able to tell you that's the case. Um, but outside oh, of that, I feel appreciated. Oh. Yeah, I know. Have some appreciation. Um, now, um, the standard sort of stuff. Um, as we get into the Q&A session, please, by default, have your microphones muted um, so that we don't hear your breath like Fana14 right there. Yeah, there you go. Bingo. Um, um, and once we've got all of those muted, if you do have a question, of course, uh, feel free to unmute yourself. Um, at the end of the day, we're here to have a discussion. Uh, it just sort of helps out if we don't have people, I don't know, loudly breathing into their microphone or shouting at their partner or binging up something. I don't know. Whatever it is that people do in the background. Yeah, oh, Final 14 straight back at it again. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. It's just my. It's a new microphone. I, I don't have the settings right now set, so I'm sorry. No, no, it's all good. I'm just picking on you because you're right underneath my name here on the server, so you're a real easy target. Uh, but... Um, but once we've got all of that done, um, if, if you do um, sort of cause a distraction, one of the moderators will will mute you, and you won't be unmuted for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the Q and A stream. So it's not fun. Um, but outside of that, uh, Captain Locke will normally pretty diligently put up um, sort of some talking points for the video um, that we can kind of base our questions around. Preferably, we'll have questions sort of specifically uh, as it relates to the video. Um, but if you do have something that's a little bit left of field, you know what, look, uh, as long as it's sort of relevant to the subject of economics, we're more than happy to go over them. Uh, but if you could, at least early on in the stream, sort of keep it to um, keep it to the, uh, to the topic at hand, which is uh, economic stimulus packages, all of the fun stuff that's been around the world. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll get into it. Does anyone have any questions, comments, concerns, queries about the, the video? 
Yes, yes. I, I have a question about universal basic income. Yeah, go ahead. How do you think would be the best way to finance this? Because lately it has been backed by people in the right as a way of cutting on public uh, expenses, like for instance, cutting down on education or healthcare, and instead giving people a handout basically so they can go on and buy themselves some private education or some private healthcare. So it can be used as a as an argument to, to actually cut down on public services, which uh, I, I, it could be a bit dangerous in my opinion. So how do you, would you finance this? Uh, isn't that an interesting one? Um, I've never actually sort of heard that argument, but I suppose it does make sense uh, in the sense that, um, you know, obviously this is a social uh, policy. It, it's giving money to people sort of indiscriminately, um, but if anything, it might actually be sort of a, a great a tool of, of laissez-faire capitalism in the sense that they can then decide what it is that they do, uh, what they spend that money on. Um, now, it's a really, really great question though, even with that aside, because uh, of course, when you're talking about giving everyone in, you know, let's say the United States of America a thousand or two thousand dollars a month, um, the first logical question is, well, where the hell are you gonna get this money from? Uh, and, and that's probably a pretty responsible question. Well, there's two things, and well, actually probably a few things that you need to look at with that. Uh, now, the first is, of course, how the American monetary system works. It's a little bit different, let's say, like a household budget, uh, where you spend money and that money's gone and you have to earn it back. Uh, of course, you know, the US government kind of effectively has control over the currency that it circulates. Um, so it has a little bit more, um, it has a little bit more power to kind of facilitate these massive public expenditures, you know, like the public expenditure that we've seen right now, $2 trillion going out there into the world. Um, isn't that crazy? Um, but outside of that, um, there are some other things that sort of make it make it possible. Uh, the first is that it effectively would alleviate entirely existing welfare. Um, so, you know, things like vet benefits, uh, unemployment benefits, uh, pensions, I'm not sure if government sponsored pensions are a thing in the United States, all of the other sorts of things, you know. Um, there's a bajillion different types of um, government welfare things that you might or might not be eligible for. Uh, and that's true for most nations around the world. The idea is that if you roll out a universal basic income, you scrap all of that sort of stuff. There's no, you know, sort of fill out 42 AB in blue and then color code it with a red stamp and take it to your local, um, you know, JP to get it signed and discredited and then you can send it off to your central authority to um, potentially get a disbursement of your funds as it's allocated to you by, um, you know, your local uh, I don't know, sheriff's department or whatever like that, because there are some ridiculous kind of bureaucracies involved in the current system. By alleviating that, you get rid of a lot of staff. Uh, so you get rid of a lot of government employees, basically, that are just there to facilitate this. Uh, you also get rid of a lot of, you know, people trying to rig the system, game the system, take advantage of the system. Uh, and you also get rid of a lot of sort of administrative back-end stuff. And that sort of alleviates a lot of the cost. All right. There you go. You were muted. Uh, we uh, I have a question. No, 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 I'm still answering that question. I'm oh, sorry. Um, so, sorry. Uh, so that sort of saves a lot of money in itself. But it is still foolish to answer that any decent universal basic income will be uh, cheaper than existing welfare. Because it won't be. If it's, a, if it's a decent, livable basic income, uh, it's just not going to be as, as workable uh, or as cheap as, as current uh welfare, even as convoluted as those welfare systems might be. Um, so normally it calls for some kind of additional tax. Um, Andrew Yang's policy was $1,000 a month, which to be honest, I don't necessarily think is, is livable. Um, 
but he sort of postulated that we get the money by charging tech companies, tech companies that are using people's data. They effectively, he effectively made the argument that you know people's data was a public good, uh, you know, akin to natural resources that could be sold by the state or, or whatever it may be, and we ought to be um, reimbursed for the data that these companies sort of harvest from us. Uh, and that would be used to fund a, a universal basic income. But the other one that, to think about is, you know, purely even if you sort of increase the top marginal tax rate, um, the rich powers that be would be very, very cranky about it, and I'm sure it would be lobbied to death. Um, but if you would think of, you know, increasing the top marginal tax rate to, say, 60, 65, 70%, um, well, then that's going to collect a lot of money from those sorts of people that are, um, you know, earning significant amounts. Sure, they're going to get their $1,000 a year, uh, sorry, $1,000 a month check just the same as everyone else, but it won't go nearly as far for those sorts of people. If they get a $1,000 check and they're paying 70% tax on every extra dollar that they earn, well, they're effectively only getting a $300 check, uh, whereas for someone that's, you know, really basically scraping by, that $1,000 check, they get to keep the whole thing, um, which is what I made in the point that I referenced where it's kind of self-regulating. Uh, so ultimately, how are we going to pay for it? Uh, a big brand new tax, and that's that's the sort of very um, direct way of answering it. The roundabout way is it it kind of goes a little way to pay for itself, uh, and it also sort of injects some efficiencies into the economy that might make um, you know genuine productive economic growth possible that wouldn't have been uh, available without it. So yeah, good question. Just, just to add one thing, would you do you think it's wise for an economy and its future? To instead of providing free education, giving a handout to people. Uh, well, I think it's one of those things that you know, as long so long as people are um, going and getting educated to a sort of a set standard, maybe um, you know, in the sense that they could kind of pick it. But uh, honestly, no, I don't really see it working. Like, I mean, we have um, the options for for things like private schools here at the moment. Um, I know private schooling is, is a major thing in like Australia, for example, um, but I, it's not, um, you know, it's not likely you don't have that option if you chose to pay for it. But I think having a good basic foundational thing that's, that's kind of essential and, and or, or not also mandatory um, is, is pretty positive for a nation. If you start to see that, oh, you know, yep, sure, we have, uh, we give you some money, um, but now you've got to go pay for your schooling. And oh, you know, too bad if you're a, uh, I don't know, diabetic, and that money goes towards um, your insulin because now you can't send your kids to school. If there's ever an instance where people have to make the choice between foregoing one thing for their child's education, I don't necessarily see that as a positive outcome. Um, do you? No, I don't. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for the answer. Yeah, no worries. Um, so for UBI, uh, one of the things I've heard against it a lot is like, let's say you introduce like Andrew Yang a thousand dollars a month to everyone, uh, that everything would basically increase to match that. Like, uh, for example, like rent could be something that everyone just bumps up their rent immediately by like a thousand dollars a month. And then it effectively disappears. So, like, how do you, how does that, it, would that likely happen or like, how do you stop that? We have in the past month, introduced two trillion dollars into the american economy um you know and has your rent increased a thousand dollars no uh well yeah no no, 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 no it has um 
and you know the the idea that just because you have um, you know x amount more money in the economy that everything is going to cost x amount more uh, is is foolish. Um, people don't sort of quite. No, I'll go and I'll down. Um, please, guys, mute your microphones um, by default so we don't have to hunt you down. I don't know where you are. Cut them off, but anyway. Um, as I was saying, um, just because there's X amount more money in the economy that everything's going to cost X amount more, so rents are going to increase by $1,000 a month, um, sort of, it, it is true in a sense, and it's like everything that's a little bit sort of misguided, um, there's an element of truth to it in the sense that, yes, if you have more generous government welfare, and a universal basic income would be more generous government welfare than what exists currently, uh, it is going to cause demand pull inflation in the sense that everyone's going to have a little bit more money, well, most people are going to have a bit more money. Uh, the people with a marginal propensity to consume are going to have a little bit more money. So uh, things like consumer goods, um, things like low, um, you know, low income rentals, stuff like that. Um, yeah, chances are it'll increase a little bit. Uh, will it increase by a thousand dollars a month? But no. in the end, there'll be a net benefit for anyone who's receiving it for the it'll, most part it'll be a net benefit to um sort of lower income households chances are that to, to fund it it will be a tax on higher income households uh and that you know twelve thousand dollars or whatever that they get a year will be nothing in comparison to the i don't know let's say the extra fifty thousand dollars a year that they're paying in taxes um but i mean on an economic an economy wide level uh, there's an argument to be made that you look you know past a certain point those guys don't actually contribute that much to the consumer-based economy anyway so yeah, you know what? If you want to, if you want to pay less taxes, earn less money. Okay. What What do you think about the? I don't know if you looked into it, but the twelve thousand or twelve hundred dollars stimulus check that uh the U.S. did. Any person who's dependent, uh, like claimed as dependent, like from their parents on taxes, which is almost every single student under like twenty six who's in like college, or just living with their parents. Uh, just didn't get any money and neither did the parents like $500 like if you have a kid or something like is there a good economic reason for that or just just because uh, I would say it has to do with the tax agency they, they just want to make sure that the um, the checks aren't going to people that aren't going to get any use out of it uh, and I'd imagine with that um, and I'm not sure of the exact sort of qualification criteria but I'd imagine that you know things like students or dependents they, they wouldn't want um, let's say like an 18 year old kid who's living at home with their parents uh, to qualify for this check, you know, and their parents to get it because, you know, realistically, they probably don't need it. Um, okay. Whereas... Yeah, it's just a lot of students also, like, yeah. they, they don't have to live with their parents. They can live, like, on their own, have their own job and support themselves and still be claimed as a dependent. So it's like... Yeah. Uh, kind would, of would, a would there problem. be a tax benefit to the parents for claiming them as a dependent? Yeah, that, that is the, the thing. Well, you know what? sucked in i mean like i don't know what to tell you if you, you probably chances are they probably saved more than a thousand dollars in tax by claiming them as a dependent they can they can <laughs> suck it up okay probably sucks for the student it's like oh yeah god mum and dad just cost me uh you know 1200 bucks but uh you know what i think uh if they if they're a student that's going to college in america like they probably should be pretty good, pretty thankful to mum and dad uh, can i can i ask go ahead um, so I, I'm I'm in newborn income economics, and uh, I've been reading a bit of Milton Friedman lately, and I want you to make a comparison between uh, universal basic income and his proposed uh, reverse tax rate. If you are familiar with that, are you? Uh, yeah, on an elementary level, yes. Yeah, can you make a comparison to that? Yeah, so it's it's interesting in the sense that um, the kind of um, 
the, a negative tax, I think, is just a very, very complicated way of achieving exactly the same thing. Um, whereas you are kind of shifting the balance of, of income from uh, high income earners to lower income earners. Now, uh, negative income taxes kind of do it in, in a more direct and obvious way, um, in the sense that anyone earning below a certain amount, uh, so let's say the, the pivot for negative income tax, uh, negative taxes is $50,000. Um, normally, um, when you earn under $50,000, you know, for every extra dollar you earn, you might pay uh, 20 cents in tax. Um, but this actually works the other way. Um, for every dollar under um, you know, $50,000, the government will pay you 20 cents. Um, so it's almost like a, a universal basic income for, um, for lower income earners specifically. Now, once you've earned over $50,000, then you start paying tax back and it, you know, for every extra dollar that you earn, you, you get more and more sort of taken off you. Um, but under that, they, the, the government sort of gives it back to you. Um, now, mechanically, they're very, very different, uh, of course, in the way that it's actually worked out. Um, there's probably like a, a nice elegance to a negative tax system in the sense that it's kind of like, it's right there, you can see it with the numbers, uh, whereas a universal basic income is, uh, it's a lot more rigid in the sense that, you know, everyone gets this, this is what it is, this is what it is, don't worry about it. Um, and it is kind of then sort of worked out with taxes. Um, but uh, I think the problem with negative, negative taxes is they're just kind of, they're just a little bit more complicated. Um, and when you're talking about sort of proposing this to, you know, um, the average people, average person out there, and you start talking about, oh, you know, look, most people don't even understand marginal tax rates as they exist today. Uh, the amount of people out there that would still tell you to earn less because you know you're not, you don't want to go into that next tax bracket, uh, it's insane. Um, and and if you try to argue something else like, oh yeah, well, there's negative negative taxation. There's this pivot point where you start to earn money and then you turn it to spend money. It's going to go way over people's heads. Whereas if you go to them and say, you get thousand dollar a month, they go, okay, money good, I'm on board. Uh, so I think that's probably uh, is the connection bad for anyone else. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. It's probably just because my hey, I think it's fine for me. I think it's Discord. Just Discord. Uh, out for a second. Okay. Uh, anyway, I was trying to make the point that uh, the people are dumb and um, uh, a universal basic income is a much more simple, um, yeah, a much more simple system to, to understand. And effectively, they, they just achieve the same things. It's a redistribution okay, okay. So, mechanic. So, so is, is there an advantage that not excluding um, people who are higher than that uh, marginal income bracket? I mean, uh, I don't know how you call that. Uh, uh, so... You, you would give uh, the, the universal basic income to everyone, not, not, not only people who are under a certain point. Yeah, because as I was trying to explain, you know, if you're looking at negative taxes, it's still going to do the same thing. Sure, you know, let's take our Fortune 500 CEO that's earning a million dollars a year. Under a negative income tax thing, chances are his marginal tax rate's going to increase. Uh, and let's say he's having to pay an extra $60,000 a year. Uh, sorry, let's say he's having to pay an extra $50,000 a year in tax, okay? Um... Okay, he's worse off, but that's okay. It's going to it's going to help out his fellow man at the bottom of the at the bottom of the food chain. Um, now, um, let's say alternatively, there's a universal basic income uh, in this kind of system. Even though he's earning a million dollars a year, he's going to earn a thousand dollars a month. So you know, an extra twelve grand a year. Um, so hey, lucky him. Uh, the problem is though, because he is earning a million dollars a year, that twelve thousand dollars a year is is super insignificant. 
um, and he's still going to be taxed, uh, let's say an extra, you know, 10%, uh, and then, oh, sorry, an extra 5%. Oh, and well, you know what? Suddenly he's kind of sitting exactly where he would be under a negative taxation system anyway. It's just effectively he's had an extra source of income that he's had to pay tax on. Um, but the change in the marginal tax rate has a much, much more significant impact on him than, uh, you know, $12,000 of extra little, you know, funny money he's ever going to, ever going to mean. Um, so, I don't know. If anything, maybe it makes them feel a little bit better about sort of receiving that money. There may be an argument to be said that, I don't know, maybe they'd find a way to distribute it and, and hide that revenue and not pay taxes on it like rich people love to do. But I think that sort of goes either way. Uh, if they're going to figure out a way around taxes, they're going to figure a way around it you know, under either system. So I think the only real, uh, in terms of the net outcome, the only real difference is um, how simple it is to explain. Um, so someone over on, um, yeah, um, uh, someone over on uh, the uh, YouTube live stream had a really good question. Uh, it's a little bit left of field, but we'll, we'll go over it anyway. Um, oh, he says, I love this. This be an interesting question, yep. Yeah, he says, hi, I have a question, uh, not related to the video, and that's okay, question. A business may be without a profit motive. Is it true or false? I think it's true as there are companies like Amazon who did not turn a profit for so many years. Uh, and that's a really, really good question. There's so, so much to talk about there, and I think it's a really interesting subject. Now, um, I want to take a poll of um, either viewers on the YouTube live stream, feel free to participate here. Um, and viewers on the Discord server. So in the VC chat or on the live chat over on YouTube, um, if you think businesses can only run with profit, put a P in chat. If you think businesses can exist without the profit motive, put an NP in chat. I want to take like a very rough toll here and see. So. NP means that you're happy to run it without profit, and N means that you, uh, and P means that you can only run it with profit. You don't. Think when you, you say profit, profit, do you mean monetary profit, or do you mean psychic profit? Uh, monetary oh, profit, or, or or at least, uh, or at least the proposal. You know, the chance that one day it'll profit. You know, it's going to lose a bit of money you're up front, and you know, eventually it's going to you know turn a profit, or it has a plan for profitability. So you guys can also go to the straw monetary profit or expected monetary profit. Yeah, monetary profit. I mean, I'm we, we, we're capitalists here. You know, we're economists. You know, we, we're cold, heartless bastards. We don't care about smiles or anything like that. We want fucking cash. Um, so right, that, but there's a reason that you know there's a reason that people hire um, you know their son, for example, even though he might not be more competent at a job than somebody. Yeah, I would say that I, I, you know, NP, but I strongly prefer P when applicable. I mean, we are talking about if it's possible. So is it in the realm of... Oh, it, yes. yes, it is. Uh, yeah. I, the, I, would, I would say that the, uh, you know, to, to uh, Jasper, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, I wouldn't point to Amazon as a, as a company that, you know, uh, operate without a profit motive because uh, at the end of the day, they they were seeking profit. Um, it's just they their goal was a long uh, is playing a long game where you know they build up enough revenue and enough uh, market share and then they 
go in for the kill and make the profit. Yeah, which is exactly uh, what they're doing now. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, um, short term, yes, yeah, most businesses, most businesses, a vast majority of companies uh, in their first year or two of operation don't turn a profit. You know, a break even um, business year is a, is a huge landmark in a business. So um, yeah. I don't think anyone sort of agrees that companies can operate without profit. Um, you know, because it's Uber disagrees. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, eventually, you know, even then, of course, Uber eventually sort of has a plan for they want to become profitable. Um, no, the CEO literally said we have zero plans to ever become profitable. Okay, well, that's just stupid then. I don't know why anyone would invest in that, but anyway. Um, Pretty sure he's just trolling. Yeah, outside, outside. It depends of... on why you invest, right? Like, there, there can be many reasons to invest in something that's not profitable. Yes, like, yes. there's a reason people give money to charity. Yep. Yeah. And which is the next thing that we're going to get along to. Um, is it, That's why it, I asked about psychic profit, right? It, yeah. It really does depend on um, what you class as a business. Now, if you class a business as a you know institution that is there to generate returns for its investors, well, then I suppose by your definition, then no. And there's probably a lot of people out there that would define a company as you know or a company or a business as something that's there to generate returns for their stakeholders um you know and most notably their investors right um now if that was your definition of it well then no um you probably won't be able to run it um at least without a plan for profitability and i don't know uh, if it was just some weird case that i've you know sort of falls on the fringes of just being completely irrational um but you know, rationally, of course, if you're investing into something, if you're buying shares, you want to see a return on that investment. Anything outside of that, and then that would probably be classed as something like a non-for-profit, a charity, uh, an institution, a, a foundation, a fundraiser, something like that, where, uh, of course, you know, the, all, the, the motive is not profit. Uh, it's to, you know, raise money for, for I don't know, COVID-19 research or, or whatever it may be. It gives you warm, warm fuzzies and I don't know, maybe it gives you a tax offset at, at most. Um, but that would probably be something that a lot of people would class as very, very different from a business. Um, now, I would sort of turn around and say um, there's potentially sort of some weird parallels that could be drawn um, when you're thinking of something that's going to administer wealth to the participants uh, in some kind of institution. Um, without necessarily being a profit motive. I would I would guide you to something like say, um, you know, uh, Minecraft servers. If you think of that, there are people that, you know, operate Minecraft servers or EVE Online corporations or World of Warcraft <coughs> guilds. Cough, cough. They spend thousands of hours um, a year operating and managing and creating spreadsheets and, uh, you know, working on discord servers and stuff like that communicating with subordinates uh you know passing along intelligence all this kind of stuff everything that would make a you know a fortune 500 company run uh, they do for free because they enjoy sort of um you know the thrill of the game or um some kind of uh you know uh, you know psychological sort of outcome from it um and that we kind of really blur the lines between a, an operating corporation in the sense that you know, I suppose internally within this video game, they still kind of have a profit motive. Um, you know, if you're playing World of Warcraft or EVE Online or, or even Minecraft, you kind of want to, you know, hoard wealth for yourself. Um, but, you know, it's not real world sort of wealth. So maybe that's sort of where it's kind of on the fringes. 
and even here i mean we probably have a real world example um you know sort of as we're sort of living and reading right here on the server uh, in the sense that you know look there's like 10 staff online at the moment right now um, all of which spend, you know, lots and lots of time and effort into making sure this server runs effectively, making sure that naughty boys and girls that say mean things um, get booted off the server, um, and, you know, that channels are properly administered, that, you know, people get muted if they're breathing into their microphone too too loudly. Uh, and they do all of that for free because, you know, I'm a tight ass. I don't pay any of the guys. Um, you know, to make of that what you will. Um but of course they sort of do it because um, either they inherently just enjoy sort of helping out or you know they sort of appreciate the conversations or whatever it may be or or maybe it is that they just love lording power over people that uh, you know whatever their motive is it's not profit um, so it's a sort of an interesting kind of real world example and you know there's probably an argument to be made that this discord server is something reflecting a business but it really does depend on yeah. It really does would, depend on where your like, lies. You know, if I can just like say like personally for me, the reason why you know I want to take a, a role in a sense of obligation. Just uh, you know, I enjoy the conversation here, and I like uh, where it goes, and I like having fun on here. Oh my god, yeah, no, Jolo, I'm not simping for economics explained right now, or maybe I am. Who knows? <laughs> Good luck. Honestly, Do uh, doesn't, doesn't that fill you with warm fuzzies? Who knows? Anyway, but uh, it's just uh, in, in that regards, like if I own my, uh, if I own a business myself, one of the things I'm interested in is running the business, uh, you know, primarily for myself, but not extracting full profits from it. So if, you know, I'm making a 10% return uh, on the business, you know, maybe 5% of that is going to go uh, not to me, but to others. And in that sense, like right there, I've kind of, we kind of breached this whole idea of uh, extracting or does a business have to run on a profit? And my argument there is like, yeah, it can run on a profit. I don't have to take all the profit at the end of the day, though. Okay, good try. Anyway, uh, E, what do you think about the uh, Alaskan model for uh, for wealth distribution? Is he gone? I think we lost him. I think uh, he cut out. Oh, oh, no, no, I'm here. I'm here. Like the, the Alaskan, where they essentially just take the oil wealth in the nation and they just distribute it equally among all the citizens, just a percentage of it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, and I suppose it's another sort of uh, examples of that sort of probably potentially less directly, um, like, you know, Norway and stuff like that. Um, I think it's, it's probably a lot to be said for it, to be honest. Now, I don't know if direct distribution to all of the sort of uh, residences is necessarily the answer. Uh, it certainly is, seems like the one that is on the surface level most fair, because then I guess it's up to the people to see what it is that they do with it. But um, it, there's a lot to be said for it. And I think morally speaking, you have to realize that uh, things like oil or natural gas or iron ore or, uh, or anything that sort of naturally exists um, within a nation, if it's a nation that is a, a collection of, you know, for the people, by the people, uh, that those resources are the people's uh, and they should naturally see some kind of return for those resources. So uh, a lot of times, you know, oil companies or whatever it may be get around this by saying, oh, we're going to create jobs and we're going to bring wealth and prosperity to the area. And they sort of uh, finagle their way out of actually sort of really kind of distributing any of that wealth to the people whose oil it is that they are taking. Um, but I think 
realistically and you know um sort of morally i suppose it's probably a really good model in the sense that yep okay sure um you know this is my land um you know i'm a you know a resident of alaska um I'm going to let you sort of come on to, to this area that's, you know, collectively mine and my neighbours um, to extract this oil because I realise it's a valuable commodity that you want, um, but pay us. You know, pay us for, for what is rightfully ours and we'll distribute it around our, um, you know, our, between ourselves. And I don't know, maybe we'll use it to buy build a new bridge or, uh, you know, improve our schools or, um, you know, build infrastructure like airports or something like that. Or maybe we'll use it to buy brand new Ford F-150s. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I suppose at the end of the day, there's probably a lot to be said for, for people having, uh, you know, liberal rights and what it is that they do with these uh, these handouts. Um, but it is, the, you know, it's their wealth. It's just sort of been transferred into something like that. In the same way that, um, I suppose another way to think of it is, look, if you had in your backyard, you know, barrels and barrels of oil that you just sort of had piled up there, um, if someone wanted to come in and take it, you'd probably give it to them, but they just have to give you money for it. Um, you know, if you really think about it at that most granular level, it kind of seems unfair. You know, under any other sort of, under any other circumstances, I, I don't know if anyone would disagree with that. Uh, do you have any model in particular you you would base DBI off of? Like, uh, we just went over the Alaskan model. Do you think uh, that could work for other countries as well, like Norway, for example? Yeah, so Norway does it a little bit differently in a sense that they really. Um, but they take a little bit more of a control over, um, you know, who is buying what, um, how much people get, and also where that is, where that money is being used. So in a sense, people in Norway still do benefit from the oil wealth of the nation, um, but it primarily goes into their sovereign wealth fund. Uh, now that sovereign wealth fund is not distributed to people to go out and buy a new gaming PC or a you know a brand new pickup truck or whatever it is like that. It's it's held by the government um, and it's invested. And the idea is that that will go on to fund education, infrastructure projects, um, you know, welfare and all of that sort of stuff uh, for generations to come, well and truly beyond when that oil is gone. Uh, now I think long term that's a much more responsible solution because. Uh, to be honest with you, if you give most people in the world, you know, let's say a thousand dollars a month or whatever, you know, you know, potentially through fault or no fault of their own, um, they're going to end up spending most of it. Whereas if you, as a government, control it, hold it, invest it, um, and distribute it uh, sensibly, uh, it's going to last a lot longer and potentially sort of give you um, a lot more net benefit by creating a, a nation. Um, you know, that's full of people that are well-educated with infrastructure and capacity to, to really make the most of themselves even after all of that oil is gone. Um, so I think that's probably a more, uh, if I was to pick it, and I don't know, maybe that just makes me some kind of uh, uh, limp-wristed. Keynesian shill. Yeah, Keynesian shill. Um, yeah, it had to be said. Um, but I'd, so I'd pick that model over directly, you know, giving it to the people. Just, I don't know, maybe that's just because I just don't have that much faith in people. Call me a I, that, that is fair, but it's like in Canada, we just had like a fund manager throw away like $5 billion in like oil bets in the past like month alone. So uh, it kind of hurts me when I when, when I see like my pet, like the pension plan that my parents and I'm like con contributing to just literally gets thrown away into like oil bets in like Alberta. Well, I mean, yeah, of course, um, you need to make sure that these kinds of funds are responsibly managed. Um, 
and that would hurt. I mean, obviously, the worst case scenario is that the government does take it and poorly manages it, and no one ever sees it, and they don't even get to have their Ford F one fifty. But um, yeah, I'd still sort of argue that normally larger institutions are probably better investment managers than than individual people um, for the like, most like part. Like MBB, like they're a fantastic investment opportunity, and you should all put your money with them. Oh yeah, yep. yeah, hundred percent. Could have swore this guy's name was Martin Screlly earlier. Hmm. 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 Yeah, just like Joe Lowe is a fantastic example why you should always trust institutions with your money. Mm -hmm. I think I'll wait, we'll wait for the next video when you go over that, right? Oh, yeah, well, I, I do have a, a video on hedge funds that, that's in, in the works, so that'll be a fun one. Yeah. All right, is Cole it? asks, is Cole has a question. Cole, do, would you like to... Uh read off the question or do you want me to read it? Oh, his mic is microphone. Is he muted? No, his mic is broken. His mic's no. broken. Alright. So it says, is there an argument to let the free market let businesses fail who didn't plan properly for downturns? Or just let other companies come in to form a new market? Uh, yes, of course there's the argument to be made. Um, you know, especially it's it, it feels it's like a very vindictive argument, especially when you consider that uh, you know, these types of institutions are probably the ones uh, during the good times that are out there lobbying hard for, uh, you know, more freewheeling capitalism, less taxes, less government control, less stipulations on how we do our business. And then uh, as soon as the going gets rough, it's like, oh, you know, uh, uh, please, please, sir, can I have some more? It's like, no, fuck you. you. You mismanaged it and you made us feel bad about it during the good times. You made tens of billions of dollars in profit which you gave back to your shareholders you didn't keep anything you didn't keep any emergency funds while sort of lecturing to all of us the importance about foregoing avocado toast and latte so we had a six-month emergency funds screw you feels good doesn't it and it's fair uh, it's absolutely the case that it should probably be um, what happens the issue is um, that when we talk about you know sort of the the, the free market we make a lot of assumptions uh, in the sense that when we're looking at things like the airline industry that's the big one right now, of course, that's in the limelight. Um, they are you know, potentially going to fail if they don't get government assistance and they'll go bankrupt and you know, then they'll be forced to sell their planes. Potentially, they'll be forced to sell their planes to foreign airlines that'll come in and compete in the market. And these types of airlines, they provide a service. They provide a service that's almost, almost sort of a public good service. The fact that I can get on a plane uh, in Sydney and fly to Los Angeles and then Los Angeles to New York and then New York to Dallas or wherever it may be. Um, you know, the fact that Americans can fly internally within their nation and most citizens around the world can fly internally within their nations relatively inexpensively uh, is almost a service that's on the kind of level of, of being a public good. It boosts um, business productivity, the fact that people can get on planes and move anywhere around the country uh, relatively quickly, you know, sometimes single day turnarounds to get things done. Um, and it also helps with, um, you know, all manner of other bits and bobs that, you know, generally does increase the wealth of the nation. Um, but of course, you know, the gatekeepers to that kind of public service is these private institutions that profit off it. And normally it's fine. Um, but it's when they mishandle and, and operate irresponsibly, like they possibly have been for the last five years or so, um, that people get a bit cynical when they kind of turn around. Now, if you were to let these businesses fail, the economic repercussions from that would be uh, horrendous. 
um, really, really bad. If you had a country that didn't have a domestic airline, you'd have to do one of two things. You'd either have to um, you know, beg a, a foreign carrier to, to set up a domestic service, and that would be clunky, it would take a lot of time, it would be um, you know, wrought with, with others, and that's assuming that someone would do it. Um, and you know what, look, chances are for the USA, people would probably do it. There's enough money to be made there, um, but it wouldn't be efficient. It wouldn't be nearly as cheap and it wouldn't be nearly as good because um, there would be sort of all manner of people um, that just don't know what they're doing. If so they're sort of brought on board and having to operate in this new market, pilots that don't know the skies or whatever it may be. Um, so it's, it's very foolish to think that it will immediately sort of step in and it will be an exact replacement. So what that means is that kind of the government is put between a rock and a hard place. Morally, they should let them fail. You know, they're a business, welcome to capitalism, you know. Um, but on the other hand, it's sort of like, well, we're kind of hurting ourselves more by letting them fail. The, tr the, the correct answer is what you really need to do is um, find a way to retain their services um, without letting uh, any of the sort of decision-making stakeholders benefit from it. So the CEO, uh, the board of directors, the shareholders should suffer from it because effectively they made poor decisions with their money. Um, the CEO, um, let's say the board of directors directly and how they sort of handled things like stock buybacks, um, but the shareholders directly as well, in a sense, in the fact that they invested in a company that, that was you know prioritizing short-term gains over long-term stability. Um, so you know what, they take the risk, they, they get hit with it occasionally. Um, so what that means is normally uh, one of two things. Either the, you know, the government acquires the, the airline company or the business, uh, you know, it, it buys out you know, shares or shares are created for them to buy out to bail them out. Uh, and that massively depreciates or completely eliminates people's shareholding position. Uh, or the alternative uh, is that they can kind of administer them loans. Now, what has happened at the moment is that they've been administered loans. And you know what? It's probably not as fair as it could be, but it's probably one of the better things that they could do. At the end of the day, these companies are probably going to have to pay back these loans, although you know the cynic in me maybe says that they might find a way out of doing it. Uh, but effectively, it is a loan that they have to pay back. It kind of keeps everything sort of ticking along, and you know what? They have effectively been punished because you know they're going to have to... Um, sort of put this back. Um, so yeah, that's a very roundabout way of saying um, to answer your question, yes, we, we should let them fail. It would feel great. Um, but in the same way that a big fat bucket of KFC feels great when it's going in, um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to bite you in a, about an hour or two's time. So uh, it's one of those things you have to really kind of consider, um, you know, and plan for the future around how you deal with, you know, failing businesses like this. Uh, what do you think about the, uh, Actually, Weimar? I got one more question. Yeah, come on. Um, no, one, one second. Okay. Where is it? Um, it's from Beatrice and it's similar on a similar note. Um, talking about the free market, uh, well, that he asks, uh, it seems that stimulus packages are simply moving money around, not real, uh, economic contribution, but somehow it is improving the economy. Question mark. Why? Question mark. Why wasn't money distributed efficiently in the first place? Question mark. What? Uh, why perfect competition uh, was broken, question mark. Yeah, it's a really good question. And it kind of seems like when you take a real big step back from everything, it's like, what are we doing? We're just juggling around debt and currency and IOUs and 
um, you know, pieces of paper, paper rectangles that sort of have this sort of intrinsic value. Uh, and it's one of those things that can be quite disillusioning to sort of see that, you know, is any of this actually creating something decent? Um, is this, you know, is any of this real? Uh, and the answer is, well, look, in a sense, no. But, uh, of course, people have um, confidence in the fact that this currency does have money. Now, when we're talking about stimulus packages and stuff like that, what it normally means is that we are um, rearranging that currency, rearranging that money to go into the hands of people that are going to spend it or people that are going to use it for something productive. So when we talk about our $1,200 stimulus checks, uh, the idea is that the people that receive those will go out and spend it. They'll spend it in businesses that will employ people, and those people that are employed will then spend it in businesses that will in turn employ people. And you know, suddenly everything kind of gets back up and going. That's the impetus for um, you know, sort of this recirculating effect of money. Um, now, if we were to pay that to very, very wealthy individuals that might save and invest their money, um, you know, it might not go quite as far, at least in the consumer sector. Um, so that's what we're talking about. The other thing is, um, I would encourage you to watch uh, the video on modern monetary theory. A lot of people don't agree with the ideologies of modern monetary theory, but it's important to understand just to sort of see how the mechanics of, uh, of our modern financial system work uh, in the sense that we can effectively create cash and put it towards things um, you know, for instant gratification before the effects of adding that cash have necessarily been realized, um, which means that, yeah, uh, in a sense that we can kind of print these sort of little things. And as long as people agree that they have value, uh, it does add wealth, uh, which is so bizarre. Um, but um, realistically, that's kind of how a lot of things work these days. Uh, it's a good question. The answer is, I mean, it's like one of those things that I don't know, I always feel like when I'm discussing, you know, big picture modern monetary theory or macro macroeconomics about, you know, sort of what is the foundation of value in a society, it's like I feel like I should be sitting under the under, under the stars or taking a bong rip or something to really talk about it. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the sort of best way I can answer it without sort of really sort of granularly pulling apart what does what. Well, uh, uh, a little uh, back on top for a second. Uh, for like the Weimar Republic, for example, when they were put massive, massive debt after World War Two, uh, World War One, by the French and the Allies for like causing the war for Germany, side topic, they uh, essentially printed an practically instant amount of money, which was going on great until like the U.S. collapsed and they were forced to start repaying back all loans with money they didn't have, and we all saw what happened after uh, that, which wasn't the greatest Nazis took over. Yeah, and I think the big thing there was the. Well, one, that debt was unbelievably unfair. Um, it was huge. It was massive. It was crippling. Um, but the difference between, let's say, that debt and the debt of, let's say, the USA or Japan or, uh, well, not Euro, actually, um, or let's say, I don't know, the UK or wherever it may be, um, is that it was not denoted in their own currency. So they couldn't print their way out of the problem. They had to actually genuinely create wealth and trade with people um, in order to get the currency that they had to, you know, pay back this denoted debt in. Um, whereas, like, let's say if the USA has a, you know, $23 trillion uh, federal government debt, uh, it sounds really scary. And, you know, if I was $23 trillion in debt, I'd be shitting myself. But uh, in reality, it's fine because they can just sort of print the money. They probably wouldn't overnight. Um, but effectively, that's just sort of a running tally of how much money is out there in circulation that hasn't been collected by debt or taxation yet. Um, so it's not a super huge issue for, let's say, a modern, um, modern nation. 
in the Weimar Republic uh, because they basically had to repay their debt in gold. Um, well, they were screwed. For starters, the debt was huge and they had to figure out a way to get gold, which basically meant, you know, um, handing over all of their natural resources and they were basically pillaged um, because they couldn't come up with enough gold. It was, it was uh, you know, well, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but it was certainly not a fantastic arrangement. No, even even the French person who negotiated says this is not this wasn't a peace treaty. It was a, a essentially a it's like no war for twenty years. Whatever the word is for that, it's it a very famous ceasefire. This was a twenty year ceasefire. Yeah, it was, it was a twenty year ceasefire, and he was absolutely right. Uh, well, a little more off topic. I think the way of getting at it is the U.S. can't. Uh, the U.S. is allowed to print so much money because they are essentially the biggest economy in the world, and they're the safe, one of the safest places in the entire world. And their debt is nowhere close to the GDP, like in Japan or in France, for example. So even if they print the money, it's still their government bonds and their government uh, has a lot of reassurance all around the world. So they, they're allowed to print that kind of money. Yeah, I mean, I think um, in the sense that you know, look, Japan kind of gets away with it a bit as well. The UK. Um, well, the euro, if it was a single nation, would be able to get away with it. But of course, it's an independent, you know, it's a group of, of independent nations. So they kind of, um, they kind of screw themselves there. Uh, you know, Australia, anything that has a sort of a, a well-recognized and universally accepted currency, it kind of gets away with it a little bit um, because, you know, they can sort of produce this currency that has sort of recognized value. Uh, but no currency is as widely recognized, as widely accepted and has as much sort of widely recognized value as the United States dollar, so uh, the American government certainly gets away with it probably more so than anyone else does. I mean, yeah, the Japan's debt to GDP level is 250% right now. Yeah, and that sounds scary, but of course, you know, they've got a, a growth issue. Um, so they have been sort of doing quantitative easing since before it was cool uh, to try and get everything sort of hustling and bustling again. Same sort of thing, though. It's denoted in yen. Okay, it seems scary and maybe it'll cause inflation or whatever later on, um, but realistically, they can just print their way out of the problem. Uh, uh, Japan had the same uh, party for uh, since its existence, so they don't even have any credible opposition or credible opposing thoughts to the current methods, so that's also a big problem there. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's it's all um, sort of about it. Like when we look at debt, like um, say in Germany, oh sorry, not Germany, Greece. Uh, the reason that it was really bad is because it was denoted in you know euros. It wasn't denoted in their home currency. Ger uh, Greece does not have the ability to print more euros. Uh, that's handled by a central European authority. So if they get in trouble with their debts, like ah, well, I got to figure out a way to get more euros, which means. Um, you know, potentially sort of selling my resources to other people in the European Union that will be able to give me those euros uh, so I can get quite sticky quite quickly. Uh, really good question. Uh, it is a bit off topic, uh, but that's all right. We'll let it go. Um, sorry, I'm going to answer one more question uh, and then but, I am going to go to uh, sleep. So I, I just don't understand how Greece uh, can handle that with a, uh, a different currency. I mean, the currency would, will devaluate, no? And it will have no value so it's better to have a, an euro currency and pay it maybe with tax but yeah with, with the, so i i usually don't get it that with your own currency you can do this type of things unless you're the united states no uh no no anyone if you've got a debt to uh, denoted in your own currency uh so long as people are happy to recognize your currency to, to levy debt um then you're fine 
Um, so, you know, if someone says, okay, I'll write you a loan in Greek drachma, let's say, and you'll repay it in Greek drachma, yeah, so be it. Okay, cool. Uh, that's, a, that's a deal, and that's the deal that they make. Now, of course, um, they have the ability to produce Greek drachma, so, um, well, they did. Um, and, you know, effectively, if they wanted to, they could just sort of instantly pay it out. They could say, oh, look, we have a trillion dollar debt. Okay, here's a $1 trillion bill. Paid, done. Um, now, of course, if anyone went to sort of, you know, spend that back again in their economy, it would cause, uh, you know, inflationary problems and uh, it would be destabilizing to the economy. But they are never at any risk of defaulting on their loan so long as they control the currency. Um, what but they're at risk of. What I they mean, are de defaulting the country, it's, it's just as worse as defaulting the, the loan. What they are at risk of is um, basically cooking their own economy with, you know, sort of printing their way out of the problem. It, it's still not a one size fits all solution. You've still got to make sure that your currency has genuine value so that people can recognize it, you know, if you need to, to generate further wealth in the future, um, you can do so. Um, but in terms of risk of actual default, uh, as long as you can print your own currency, uh, it's zero. Um, so mm -hmm. that's, yeah, it's true for any current uh, country that owns its own currency. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, when they're using a euro, uh, they don't have that ability because they, you know, um, have agreed to use this central currency that they don't individually control. Uh, it is one of the, it's, it's, it seems like so bizarre because we think of debt and we think of our sort of standard household budgets like, oh, shit, I've got to pay off the mortgage or I've got to pay off this credit card for this, I don't know, whatever it is that I bought before lockdown or, you know, whatever it may be. And we think, oh, I just got to earn some more money. Um, but, you know, um, countries think about it and it's like, oh, okay, how much money can I make to pay all of this off? And is it going to cook my economy in another way? No? Okay, beautiful. There we go. Done. Uh, all right. Cool. So one more question and then it's sleep time for me. Who's it going to be? Uh, so I'll ask it. For like the one MDB example, doesn't like that run counterintuitive to like having the government always control all the money for, of the economy? Uh, all right. So look, there's always going to be examples of mismanagement, mishandling, government corruption, things of that nature. Um, and look, obviously there are some examples of it all going terribly wrong. 1MDB being uh, a pretty prime example of that. Um, but in the same way that that could have been, you know, you know that, that, that could have been um, laundered or embezzled government taxation money. That could have been treasury bills. That could have been anything. Uh, if corruption's going to happen, corruption's going to happen. So um, I don't see that as, uh, you know, a particular point for or against. In the same way that, you know, it could be argued that, oh, well, look, um, you know, why do we let government debt happen if Venezuela happened? Why do we let, uh, you know, governments uh, administer bills if, um, you know, whatever it may be, the Greek debt crisis happened? Just because there's some bad examples of it going wrong doesn't mean it's necessarily um, a bad outcome. And I think there were some bad actors there and, uh, you know, corruption will pretty much spoil any kind of, um, you know, beautiful economic system that you have in place. Uh, if people have the capacity and or uh, the incentive to do so. Uh, but interesting question, of course, and hey, you know, maybe there's a counter argument to be made there. Uh, but I'm not going to make it because I am going to sleep because I am exhausted. Um, so thanks for coming uh, to the stream. Feel free to stay on afterwards. Um, to those of you on the YouTube live stream, there's a lot of you. Um, so feel free to hop onto the Discord server. It's linked in the main video's description. So you'll be able to see it and hop on over there. Um, and then outside of that, I'll see you guys all tomorrow because there's another live stream happening tomorrow because that's how we're going to be doing it from now on. 
um, as opposed to directly after the videos so that um, hopefully it kind of works for a little bit better for everyone to, to think of more questions and um, you know if nothing else I can get to bed on a reasonable hour so good night everyone oh and good night to the YouTube live stream